This week's podcast is sponsored by Direction. Hello and welcome to Investing with IBD podcast, everyone. My name is Justin Nielsen, and it is December 7th, 2022, a day that will live in infamy as we remember Pearl Harbor 81 years ago today. Um, I'm going to be alone myself just uh, for the hosting duties today. Normally, Arusha Paris is joining me, but um, he's, he's still out. This was a planned one. He had a, a meeting to do. Um, but he will be back with me next week, so never fear on that. Uh, I do have joining me today, again, Scott Bennett. He is with Invest With Rules, so uh, please help me welcome Scott Bennett back to the show. How are you doing, Scott? Hey, Justin. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. And a lot of times when we talk with Scott, it's all about getting kind of that insight into what the funds are doing, where they're moving their money. So we'll definitely be talking a little bit about that, but specifically how you can view that fund movement and where they're moving their money during a bear market, uh, because that's what we've seen for 2022. Of course, we'll also talk about the markets with Scott, and we'll follow it up with a little bit of a deeper dive into a few stocks. So, uh, Scott, are you ready? Uh, let's talk markets. Uh, and how about we start with the S&P 500? What's your take on the market right now? Um, you know, we, we've, we've had some headlines coming out uh, back and forth. We did finally get that 200-day line breached again, but it didn't last very long. What's your take? Yeah, the S&P 500 is still in an uptrend. Now, 2022 was an incredibly hard year. And I say the best part about 2022 is that it's almost over. (laughs) And it was a year very much focused on high inflation. And it was a year focused on the Fed tightening, which was massive headwinds. And it's, for me, a year where buy rules, not buying extended, and having sell rules to protect were incredibly vital. And how I interpret the market, as much as I, I, I love listening to the podcasts like this and macroeconomic podcasts and shows, I'm always trying to figure out like, what's actionable and what am I able to really pull away. And how I do that is something that I call the trend roadmap. And it's a mathematical approach to having a real system around is, is a particular investment in an uptrend, a neutral trend, or a downtrend? Uh-huh. And it's not overly complex. It's not rocket science. It's just a few lines of code. And it's saying the S&P 500, despite the last really few difficult days of trading, are still in an uptrend. Mm-hmm. So uh, what would it take for you to get a little bit more negative? I mean, we did have the S&P 500 um, breach its 21-day moving average line. Uh, a lot of times we use that 21 exponential moving average line as kind of a line in the sand in terms of uh, the uptrend being being intact um, or at least more favorable. And certainly that the fact that we just erased all of the gains from that strong Wednesday uh, does kind of show, hey, there's there's a little uh, there's a little lack of buying here or a little lack of follow through, uh, I guess you could say. I mean, uh, what, what, what would it take for you to get a little bit more negative, I guess? Yeah, so today in particular, the IWM small cap index moved from uptrend to neutral trend. So that is not a good sign. Mm -hmm. Um, Other things I'm watching really close are if you're using um, VXX or the volatility. um, I I personally don't trade those particular vehicles, but I use them. And as they've been in a downward channel, as they kind of hover along the downward channel, historically, or at least 
most of the time it tends to lean towards towards the top. Mm-hmm. But I think really what I'm looking forward to is, well, somewhat looking forward to is the CPI report next week. I think it's yeah. going to be a huge tell. And uh, given that we're still in uptrends in international, the NASDAQ and the S&P, um, the, the trend is your friend. I, I think we keep writing until we get to that report. Mm-hmm. So again, I'm I'm not the best at the macro side either. I mean, I'm you know, admittedly dealing with uh, high school economics uh, is basically what I've what I've got in terms of uh, my knowledge base. But, you know, inflation has been certainly top of mind. And while Powell's comments uh, last Wednesday were not anything new to me in in, in a lot of ways, uh, it did seem that there's a lot of, I guess, hopefulness that investors are uh, pinning pinning on to kind of say, hey, is there going to be a slowdown here? Is there going to be a pivot eventually? And I mean, all you know, all signs are that we're going to get 50 basis points uh, at the next Fed meeting, uh, which a lot of people are applauding. But 50 basis points after so many 75 basis point hikes, that's still a lot. And there's still more to come, it seems like. So yes, the data, if, if one, one piece of data comes out and it's a little bit favorable, but there's still this fear of entrenched inflation, um, how how long does it take for that overhang to kind of resolve itself? That's a really good question. And the million dollar question, right? The million dollar question. I, I would say most studies show it does take several months, anywhere between like three, six, even maybe longer for the rate hikes to really get embedded into the macroeconomic system. I always mm-hmm. kind of, the most simplest thing is to internalize it. And, and certainly welcome to my living room, but I'm not looking for a house. I'm not looking for a car. Um, those interest rates will certainly slow down the entire system. Now, I the one thing that I can share uh, when it comes to this is I very much believe in following the trend and following big money. And we'll get into a lot more of that later. But I would say that, the in my opinion, big money continues to sell large cap tech, not at the same kind of veracity that they were earlier this year, But I would say it's almost like a double-edged sword where part of it is a lot of the buying is going to very defensive names, like healthcare provider type names. And part of it is going still away from large cap tech to maybe older tech. But then you also see some of the catch-up trades. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a really interesting area where you're seeing areas of the market that maybe like aren't so interest rate sensitive um, that are maybe like communications that could have a little bit of extra tailwind going into the end of the year. And so uh, what do you mean by catch-up trades? Well, I I think in general, it's a really interesting juncture. So um, based upon the the trend roadmap, so energy moved into a downtrend uh, late last week. So you're seeing areas of the market that had a lot of strength for a really long period of time for really since kind of the the COVID rescue uh, area. So energy has really seen some struggling as it's uh, had a kind of a double top pattern. Um, and you've seen areas of the market, not necessarily discretionary, but uh, communications that has been a laggard. And you've seen names like Netflix really start to come back to life. So it's it's areas that they have underperformed from a sector perspective that are now kind of coming back and slightly outperforming from a relative strength standpoint. Mm-hmm. And certainly, I mean, we, as much as we're talking about some of these macroeconomic issues, um, 
a lot of this really does come down to the chart. When you're truly trying to follow what the institutions are doing, um, a lot of that is expressed in the chart. And as you said, the trend is your friend. A lot of that is going to be found on the chart. So how much of this macroeconomic do you spend your time analyzing versus just let me look at the chart and let the market tell me what to do? Um, it's the latter. Um, the, the trend roadmap delivers, are we in uptrends, neutral trends, or downtrends? It's taking all of that data, all of that price movement, and it's just very distinctly telling me what stage. And I look at the short-term trend, and I look at the long-term trend, and I combine them. So when I look at all of the major sectors, they are all in uptrends except for energy and discretionary. So however, that's that's telling me that the consumer probably is at least on discretionary items or they're slowing. And if I look at a kind of an interesting other parts of the market that are seeing more uptrends that I've noticed recently are um, miners. So more mm -hmm. material plays um, that's been on the radar, gold, silver, solar, um, biotech. So it's been this interesting kind of uh, move within sectors and what's in uptrends. So as much as I think the macro picture is interesting, fascinating, and there's so many unknowns, I'm just trying to figure out what's truly actionable. Yeah. And I, I should add to that. I mean, I feel like the industrial plays have certainly gotten a lot more attention lately. Um, a lot of setups there. Um, you know, and and look, let's let's talk a little bit about gold because I think uh, what people would normally think of when you think of bear markets, you think of gold as being kind of the place that you go to. But um, you know, gold gold looks arguably very similar to the market, uh, the the general market right now. Um, however, uh, there is the the movement in the dollar, this uh, latest downtrend in the dollar that could be giving you a little bit more. Up oomph to the gold side. Uh, is is that what you're is that what you're seeing as well? I am. So I think from just a general thesis standpoint. So the last several weeks have been dollar down. It's been yields down and bonds up. So I mean, we we had a a quick TLT trade for a, a quick nine percent. Who would have thought in this difficult bond market? Right. Um, and then the the biggest question of all questions is okay. Well. In a bull market, dollar down, yields down, that means stocks go up a lot. But we are definitely not in a coast is clear bull market. Um, nice. There's so much headwinds because of the Fed. So given that perspective, those first two elements are a great setup for gold and for silver and for gold miners. And the pressure of billion dollar funds selling gold miners has gone away. So they hmm. th their selling has stopped, which has let kind of that that big kind of rise from the bottom happen. So it's just a really interesting time where uh, those areas of the market that are really dollar interest rate sensitive have done great. It, it also doesn't hurt um, how much trouble uh, Bitcoin and other crypto has been recently. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, when you talk about your store of value, that crypto was was promising. Uh, I think uh, gold, gold kind of proved itself a little bit better there. Well, uh, when we come back, we're going to get into a little bit more of this idea of where the funds are moving their money and how you can track that the best way possible in a bear market. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Trading Apple, sometimes you get the bear. 
Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leveraged and inverse ETFs from Direction. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. Okay, welcome back to Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen here, your host, and I'm joined by Scott Bennett from Invest with Rules. So, Scott, one of the big things that we often like to talk about is how how it's important to kind of follow where the big money is going. And I know this is what you've built your whole business on is, is tracking this information. You had your experience uh, working with Fidelity. And of course, Fidelity has a lot of, uh, a lot of money that they're dealing with under their belts. Um, so for, for people that aren't familiar with your method, um, maybe kind of introduce them to why you find it so important to follow, follow and track the fund fund movement. Yeah. Thanks so much. So, um, whenever there's a kind of a slower time in the market, I always go back and I always look at uh, some really good reading material. And William O'Neill said it best. So 75% of, of the movement of the market is large money. It's my, my old employer and their funds buying particular and selling particular stocks. And I, William O'Neill in his book said, wouldn't it be nice to know what they're thinking and what they're feeling and what they're worried about? And the reality is, is that for most of these managers, just globally, that manage billion dollar funds, they're not particularly on TV. And they usually don't want to be heard from because A, they're incredibly busy doing research uh, with their team. But then also, they don't want you to know exactly what they're doing and, and what they're thinking. And simply because it takes them a really long time to build a position. And then the, William O'Neill in his book, he shares, I think really important, he gives an example of a $5 billion fund. And that particular fund, uh, in order to build a 2% position, that's somewhat in, in a mutual fund or in a fund somewhat meaningful, that if they, he uses a $50 price, he uses that he wants to take up some of the float, but not all the float. But moral of the story is it takes 22 trading days, almost two months, to scoop up as many shares for that fund, assuming no other fund is kind of going there too. And the moral of the story is it moves the price. So in my personal preference, I, I wanna see institutional sponsorship and I wanna see kind of a big thirst, big share buying, it moves the price. And, and that's what gets me excited. That's like that investigation that I always wanna really figure out. Right, so now of course the way I have always thought of it is kind of if, if you're if you're getting in rough waters you know it's better to have that big ship go in front of you and kind of smooth things out and you just kind of follow along in their wake um but it, it's certainly with a bear market the bear market that we've had um it, it seems like nothing well i mean you've had these pockets of strength uh not really in the growth area i mean again we mentioned how energy and a lot of the cyclicals you're seeing strength in there um but how much do you have to worry about the the funds moving too quickly? You know, sometimes it's like, oh, they had to move out of growth and into cyclicals. Or when you start to see some bottoming action, do they ditch the cyclicals and ditch the defensive plays like the the Hershey's and Coca-Cola's and Pepsi's uh, to get back into growth? How how quickly does that happen? Is it truly like a 20, 22 day thing or can it happen in a in a shorter time frame? I, I typically see it happen, especially with big, large stocks, um, large caps to 
kind of mega caps, it takes even longer than two months. If you were to go to the slide that shares the 12 month. So one thing that I, I wanted to share, which I think is really interesting, especially in this kind of bear market, because it really almost started in 2021, especially with small caps and growth stocks. It's when I looked at these are particular stocks that saw 12 months of consistent selling month over month over month. And how I'll go back to some of the kind of my processes, but I thought this was so interesting. So it's it happens for a long time. So a really good example is Valero, VLO, um, 12 straight months. So what I'm simply doing is I'm looking at a, a little over a trillion dollars. It's definitely not the entire market scape, um, mm -hmm. but in a very ethical way of getting this data within the last 30 days. So names like Valero up 58% year to date. Diamondback Energy, FANG, up 34%. Royalty Pharma, up a whopping 5% RPRX. <laughs> and CoStar, which is like financial data for real estate companies, um, mm -hmm. CSGP, up 2%. So for some of the, the names, they're actually accumulating consistently over 12 months or more. Mm -hmm. So with some of those like royalty pharma and costar what, what's your explanation there if they've been accumulating for that long why haven't we seen that in their price performance it's a really good example so the names i'm sharing with you are the most consistent list they're not the mm -hmm. biggest list so these are okay. all have been on my radar um, a good example of way bigger uh, would have been exxon Mobil and mm -hmm. conoco which have well better performance than valero um, but they're just buying small, they're just chipping in. So it's just not massively large, but th those are the four names that no, no matter what, net buying, that's that's been there for 12 months. So it's not the largest and not the largest share increases, but they've been there. But I think on the Contra side, who's been selling, and I think Bill O'Neill also covers this really well. And he says, as much as they don't want you to know what they're buying, they absolutely don't want you to know what they're selling. Right. And when he says that very simply is once kind of the cat's out of the bag of what they're selling, then other people sell so they can get out before they can, the larger funds can get out. Mm -hmm. And if you go back to, um, it's the slide that has the pictures with um, salesforce.com is one example of a, a stock that's just seen 12 months of consecutive selling. It's down 48% year to date. Uh, NVIDIA, an incredible semiconductor name, down 46 uh, Google down 33 and Microsoft down 27. So in my experience of kind of scraping this data, um, I just think it's such a big difference. And this is what they've been letting go of. And a, a lot of these names have had large selling and impact selling. Uh, and they've just obviously seen it in their price movement. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of these, I mean, Alphabet, Microsoft, NVIDIA, I mean, these were, and, and, and Salesforce, these were all kind of, mutual fund darlings. I mean, they were owned by a lot of funds. It almost seemed at a certain point who was left to buy because all of the funds owned a good portion of them. A lot of them had to just because by nature of them being larger companies and having such heavy weights in the indexes, the NASDAQ composite or S&P 500, take your pick, um, they, they, they kind of had to own them, you know, because if they didn't, they could easily lose performance versus the index um, by by venturing away from those because their, their market weights were so heavy. So is this, does this mean that these are done, do you think? Or is this just something that's temporary? 
Um, that's a really good question. I, the answer is um, they're done for now. Um, so I, I would just say that they have been deploying capital to other names. And I, these are great companies. And at some point, um, they're going to move from their growth benchmarks to their value benchmarks. But you're absolutely right. Index hugging is real. Um, it's everyone wants their bonus and everyone wants to have good catch up trades. Um, I also I wanted to share um, with listeners the last three months, because I think that'll kind of help to determine a little bit more of what I've seen and what I'm looking for specifically are three months of consecutive buying and three months of consecutive selling. But this is the largest dollars that I've seen. So this is like big buying and big selling. And I think the first thing that sticks out to me is one of William O'Neill's quotes in regards to mutual funds and, and hedge funds and these private funds, they will get things wrong, but they're yeah. not going to tell you, but you can kind of see it a little bit too. So as an example, they don't get everything right. So Amazon was a very large purchase over the last three months and it's been wrong and the chart is ugly, but they have gotten things right like Oracle and Cigna and DR Horton and Netflix. And for some reason, they like Snapchat the last three months, which is really interesting because it's done absolutely nothing and just been a horrible investment. Uh, but Enphase is on there with growth stocks and Conoco's a, now a growth stock was a value stock. And on the contrary, you've seen other names um, like Apple and Microsoft and Google and all those ones are being let go of. But again, they're, they're not perfect. Um, as an example, Horizon Therapeutics went from 70 to 100, back down to 70, and just got bought out. So right. there's going to be names on both sides where they can't get them all right. But I think the most fascinating thing is that you'd expect during a bear market bounce that things that got hit the hardest to recover quicker. And what's really interesting is the names in which they're buying still outperformed since September by, it's only one percentage point, but the things that they have been still letting go of. So you can kind of see the the difference between what they're adding and what they're subtracting. And I just think it's so interesting of what where is this big money going even during tough times? Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that I guess a lot of people are probably wondering is, okay, you're 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 looking at this data. And I mean, even even though a trillion dollars is not a small amount of money, uh, you know, a trillion here, a trillion there, you start talking about some some big numbers, right? Um, how much of the market is this? And can you make logical assumptions uh, kind of with a sample size of a trillion or so uh, to the larger market and what the the majority of funds are doing? It's a really good question. So the answer is it, I think my, from my memory, I think the overall US stock market's around 36 trillion is my assumption based upon a study a while ago. So the answer is it's a small piece, but what I'm specifically looking for is large dollars, large share increases, and it's large enough where it actually moves the price. Mm -hmm. So a good example is what we all have access to are 13F reports. And 13F reports, they came out at the end of September. You kind of like, we took a snapshot and that was delivered on uh, November 15th, 45 days later. And everyone got there, uh, looked at the newspaper and they saw Warren Buffett bought Taiwan Semiconductor and everyone saw it. And what I'm simply doing is there, there are, there is data out there. It's ethical, it's legal. And I think if, if everyone else had an extra 20 to 40 hours more back in their, in their life, they could figure this out too. Um, 
very simply with invest with rules, I'm, I'm giving it's 30 days later. So in, in comparison to the 13 F it's 15 days before the last 13 F report. Mm-hmm. And, and then the other one you're going to, we're going to, we're going to get another one, another 13 F report as of the end of December this month on the, I think it's the 30th is the final day of the year. And then we're going to get that in February. But the beauty of this kind of data collection is we're going to get three additional reports before mm-hmm. that 13F report. So the answer to your question is it's not everything. But again, just like how William O'Neill said, it's this is just one fund and this one fund can push up the price. And what I'm looking at are dozens upon dozens of funds. And even though it's only a trillion, it does make a difference. Mm-hmm. And let's talk a little bit about that lag. I mean, you already addressed it to a certain degree because, you know, of course, these funds can't move that quickly. You know, when they're building a position, it takes them days, months in order to build that position. Um, but, you know, some people would say, well, gosh, if, if, you've, if you've got a lag uh, from the 13F reports or, you know, what have you of, of days, it feels like right now the way the market's been acting and part, part of this is because of headlines um, you know, sometimes the trends aren't lasting more than a week or so. You, you, you get, you get a few days up and then you, you lose all of the ground, like what we saw from Wednesday's move after Powell's comments to, uh, yesterday, all of the gains disappear. So I guess talk about time frame because you mentioned short-term versus long-term. Um, what, what kind of time frame is this relevant for? Great question. Um, so how I compartmentalize this is the billion dollar fund manager reports and all the data is incredibly important, but it's just step one. And step two is I'm looking for consistency. And then I run it through the trend roadmap. And if you're able to go to the slide with um, O'Reilly Auto Parts, um, it's an example. So I received a ton of uptrends in early October. So it was kind of at this earlier juncture um, where more recently, you're absolutely right. You cannot buy extended. Anything you purchased recently really hasn't been working. We're at the top of this bear market rally. But here's an example of O'Reilly Auto Parts, O-R-L-Y. Um, within the Invest With Rules program, I bought it on October 3rd. Um, it was at $711. I saw seven months of consecutive billion dollar fund manager buying. It, again, I run it next through the trend roadmap because I want to find identify trends kind of within the base. And it had, um, it was in, a, in an uptrend. And so it was purchased. It's still being held. It is pulling back. So it's, I think it's up somewhere in the neighborhood, a little over 20% uh, pulling back. But as of right now, all I've done following rules, um, the very final step is uh, it's gone up 20%. I lift my stop price. So my stop price is at a positive 10%. And I'm watching it close, but I'm playing with gains. So having these earlier alerts is what drastically helped this process. Mm-hmm. So, okay, a lot of that is on the technical side. You, um, you know, it, it's certainly the eye and can slim, right? The institutional part and the the fundamental side. But let's talk a little bit about the fundamental side. How much weight are you putting on those fundamentals? Uh, I mean, O'Reilly's not bad. It's, you know, it's got an EPS rating of 93, um, the composite rating is 98. So it's got a, a, a nice collection of things, but it seems like for a lot of stocks out there right now, uh, the, the earnings are not great. Um, and the estimates are even worse. Uh, so, 
certainly with O'Reilly, you can kind of understand recession fears. Um, you know, people are might might not be thinking that they're going to be going out and buying new cars, but they're going to be slapping band-aids on their old ones. Um, but talk to me a little bit about that fundamental side. Yeah, it's really straightforward. As much as I had some accounting background mm -hmm. and I know how to model a stock, I, I the I and cancel them. I prefer uh, to take, it's all data, it's not opinion. I want these funds to do that for me. So mm -hmm. I, I personally don't. Um, I do look at the ratings from IBD just to see if something's drastically wrong. Uh, but in general, all that fundamental work are done by the funds and by their accumulation. And I think another area of the market where that has done well this year that has very little to no earnings are areas like biotech, right. where they've done extraordinarily well and they have some ugly numbers on a lot of them. Yeah. So it, I think it's a really hard market, but I think it still can be found where the, the numbers can still look good and the funds tip me off. Very good. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the stocks that are coming up to the surface in Scott's research. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Trading Tesla, sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leverage and inverse ETFs from Direction. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. Okay, welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen here, your host. And don't worry for all you Arusha fans, he will be back next week. Uh, but we do have Scott Bennett with us. He is the founder of Invest with Rules. So, Scott, you've done a lot of research. You've got all this data. Um, what What's kind of on your radar right now in terms of some stocks that we can maybe share with our audience? And just as a reminder, uh, we will be going over some charts, uh, maybe even marking them up a little bit. Uh, that's something that you can view in our video portion on investors.com slash podcast. So I'll turn it over to you, Scott. What's your first stock? Yeah, let's look at uh, CI Cigna. Um, okay. I have seen a lot of buying of healthcare providers. So as we are in the end of the year, whether you're an employee or self-employed or on Medicare, it's always you have to relook at your plan and make sure you're in the right Open one. enrollment, right? And, and, and it always goes up is the reality of it. And mm -hmm. uh, so Cigna is on my radar for a few reasons. It's very defensive, which is where the funds are hiding. Um, on the most recent report, so the end of October, I saw $283 million worth of net buying. That would be mm -hmm. seven months of consecutive institutional net buying. And um, this one was picked up on uh, 10.6, but it's in an uptrend. So it fits both the billion dollar fund manager and it's in an uptrend. And I think it's it's kind of extended from a stage one cup, according to Market Smith. But um, maybe we could look at there's the chance that that's a stage two going on at the moment. But that's the first one I'll look at is Cigna. Yeah. So um, certainly, I mean, you have this cup with handle, a big cup with handle that got formed during the 2021. And as you mentioned, I mean, this is this is one that's pretty much held its 10 week line. Now, I do want to direct your attention to this really bad day here. Um, and this is something that a lot of healthcare stocks suffered. Um, when you see a bad day like that, I mean, this wiped away uh, a, a very strong week, and it was all, you know, disappeared in, you know, this was down 6%. But at, at its low, it was down a lot more than that. Um, does that 
does that give you any warning sign of, hey, maybe the institutions aren't supporting this like I'd like to see? Um, I, that's a really good uh, statement. I, I would say that, so I always set around a five to 8% stop loss. So I wasn't knocked out of this particular name, mm-hmm. um, but I would share that the, it looks like they came right and, and bought it. So yes. as much as it was uh, right at the a devastating day, day um, <laughs> on a weekly chart, it'll probably look a whole lot better despite maybe a, more of like a hammer type uh, candlestick or something. Mm-hmm. But I would just say that uh, very, it's whenever you, any, we all experience days like that and it's incredibly stressful. Um, but having that non-emotional kind of data dependent, here's my stop, here are the rules. Um, the reality is, is okay, well, I know they're buying for the last seven months. I know that it's a defensive name where they're, they're hiding. Um, it was still in an uptrend despite that torture. Um, and if it does move to more of a neutral trend, I'll put it more on my radar of, is there something really wrong? And luckily it was a, a quick snapback. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, I mean, it took a, a little while to recover. I mean, it was a couple weeks uh, uh, to kind of get back above the high of that that devastating day but to your point uh the support did come in right there at the 50-day moving average line i should also mention that on the fundamental side for cigna one of the things that's interesting is um this this eps growth rate of 16 percent and an earning stability of six um, when you get a low earning stability like that that means that the earnings are more stable uh, that can be really good for long-term leader uh, type status. And, um, you know, certainly one of the other things that I think is, is important that you noted is that you had a little bit of cushion, you know, so this didn't, this didn't wipe away all of your gains. You still had a little bit left, even, um, even at the lows of that day. Yeah. And this one, it's so interesting because Cigna and United Health Group, UNH, they're, they're like neck and neck. So another stock that's seven months of net buying consecutively in a row. Um, United Health Group does have bigger sales and bigger earnings, um, but I, I simply, they're both on my on my live spreadsheet. They're both on my, on my radar, but it's just something where larger money this past month was when I did my report was, was going to Cigna. Yeah. And I mean, it does look like, whereas UNH has had this, um, had this base that it started earlier this year um, it kind of did another base right next to it. It, it hasn't made quite the progress that Cigna has. Um, it seems like a lot more time spent going back and forth at its 10-week moving average line for UNH as opposed to Cigna that has held above it. And uh, you see a, a little bit more of a steeper uptrend on that 10-week moving average line. Um, and if you just do a comparison of relative strength, you've got 97 relative strength rating for Cigna uh, versus UNH, which is at 88. So let's go ahead and move on to another stock. Uh, what else are you looking at? Yeah, the next name is Enphase, E-N-P-H. So um, well-known in the IBD community, uh, just massive sales, massive earnings. They develop uh, energy generation, storage, uh, the microinverters. So they're just a really big player in the solar space. Um, the this particular um, end phase has received six consecutive months of net uh, institutional buying, as well as despite the last two days have been not fun, it's still in an uptrend. So um, again, nothing breakouts. This is a hard breakout market, and it attempted it, 
and mm-hmm. it's still within this kind of uh, this range. So it's becoming more attractive as the funds still like end phase. Mm-hmm. So this one is it's a little bit trickier. So if you were buying this at a breakout, um, and you know I've I've kind of pointed out last Friday which was a really strong day, looked like, okay, in a normal environment, this is where you'd be, yes, I, I want to be buying. But in this bear market, uh, it's, I'm going to just quote another area that Bill has often referred to in his books. This is in both the, the successful investor and how to make money in stocks. He has this loud warning to the wise, uh, basically saying, hey, a lot of these rules just don't work in bear markets. Uh, you know, You just have to be kind of on the sidelines, more in cash. Um, so when, when you've got something like this on end phase, and by the way, I should also disclose that I do have a position in this myself, a very small one because of the volatility. It is a, a volatile stock. Um, but when you have a breakout like this and then all of that's wiped away, uh, does, that, does that give you pause when you don't have that cushion? Does that shake you out a little bit quicker? Um. So I lifted my stop. So I entered end phase on 1026 um, at 291.20. So 1026 and um, end phase is what, because of the institutional sponsorship, I just, I raised the stop to break even. So okay. I, I think there's right now a cushion of just about 9% in the position. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in a perfect world, I mean, I, I, it's like an add-on buy was um, Friday and mm-hmm. then about face. So um, so the original buy is still up, but I, I, I agree. It's, this is one of those moments where um, will the institutions support it? My assumption is most likely, but again, I'm, um, I, I don't even see a neutral trend yet. It's still in an uptrend. So holding for now. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, um, you know, and I'm c- kind of putting you on the spot here, but uh, First Solar uh, doesn't have the numbers, the fundamental numbers that Enphase has, um, but it arguably has had a little bit more of an uptrend and oomph lately. Um, is this something that's been coming on your radar at all? Um, it has. So First Solar, let me just check here. So I'll just from off memory, I think it was something like um, Shoals was on the radar, mm-hmm. Array has been on the radar, and First Solar. Um, First Solar saw kind of more of a two months of buying and then a hold. So I didn't see much. I didn't see large buying. I'm, I've actually seen more consistency with Array, A-R-R-Y. Um, and then Shoals just started having some small buying. So I, again, um, First Solar, I, I would say a very pretty chart, but I, I just haven't seen it show up on my reports. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's some, but not as much as the others. So, uh, do you find that the, the data that you pull is pretty good at getting the leader? I mean, when you, when you are seeing money flow to maybe a group, um, you know, is it, is it pretty good at getting the leader or is it sometimes, oh, you know what, it's getting the second place or third place and that's good enough. Um, that's a really good question. I haven't done a full study on it. I would say they historically are really good, especially because the institutional flow keeps coming. Where that, uh, where I really look for, am I in the right sector in the right space? Is it goes back to that relative strength study that I do every week. So, um, as an example, TAN the ETF um, for the last several months. Um, I, I did see very large spikes, so a greater than 20% relative strength movement. 
Um, so there's definitely something, uh, obviously it's what's going on with the, the energy act that was passed, the clean energy act, but a, a lot of these have worked. Um, but the data and the research is definitely pointing directly at end phase. So I guess time will tell, but I, I right. think that is where uh, my effort and my focus has been. Okay, so you, you brought something up, and I'm just going to take you on a tangent here for a second. Uh, TAN, of course, is an ETF, an exchange-traded fund. Do you ever take a look at ETFs and, you know, are funds buying ETFs? Uh, are you tracking that as well? Or are you just simply looking at the technical action um, of an ETF to kind of gauge uh, sector strength? Uh, simple answer is uh, I do not see uh, funds buying ETFs. Um, I really don't see it. So I simply just run it through the trend roadmap. Is it an uptrend, neutral trend, or downtrend? Uh, TAN is still in an uptrend, and it's on my radar. I do I do like to look at ETFs because even in a market like like this, you're going to be able to hopefully. It's been it's been a hard one, but there's there's always areas of the market where if I don't see a lot of institutional support, like as an example, in one particular gold stock. I, I lean more towards like a GDX or a GDXJ where it, it will direct me where the flow is going, but not necessarily the billion dollar fund managers. Gotcha. And let's go ahead and round out the discussion with a biotech. You, you mentioned earlier, I mean, there's a lot of these biotechs that have been doing very well and you, you see the funds kind of getting in there and a lot of times the fundamentals don't matter. Sometimes you have the more speculative where they don't even have a product that's approved yet. And sometimes they're getting milestone payments and that's their only revenue, as opposed to some of these that have a huge pipeline. They've got a lot of drugs that they're making good money on and they're just looking for those next drugs that they have in the pipeline to take over. Or um, you know, when, when things patents lapse and, patents lapse and they go to generic, um, you know, what do they have to kind of get that revenue stream continually uh, going up? So what, what do you what do you think about Legend Biotech here and what is it that you're seeing in your data? Yeah, I, I would always be cautious because this is a, a no earnings, just some large sales. So but Legend is originally it is a Chinese based company. They have a headquarters in New Jersey. They are opening another office next year in Belgium. But what's fascinating is they're using our, in our bodies, our T cells, which goes after yeah. abnormal cell creation and they're fighting. It's our army defenses internally in our body. And the, the hardest thing, if anyone's ever had it or been family or this, the, the, the horrible challenge of cancer. And my hope just from a global perspective is that we have ideas like this, and this isn't the only um, CAR T program, um, where they're simply taking your T cells out through through your blood, and then they're what they're doing is they're infusing a kind of a benign virus where they're able to put in the the um, the CAR T, the the chimeric antigen receptor. So there's more likelihood that it'll be able to identify and attack your cancer cells in your body. So mm -hmm. the the caution is the toxicity when it is is infused back into your body, all these T cells, and the hope is that this will, um, I mean, if, if anyone's experienced like family like this, but it's like the radiation and the chemo, it's instead of using your own body to identify the problem. So legend, why it's simply on my radar beyond just, I hope one of these companies makes a massive breakthrough for, for everybody. Um, but legend has had 
The last two months were holds. So they weren't massive in any capacity, just holds. But prior to that, there were six months of accumulation of net buying. And it is in an uptrend. And there's something going on. But obviously, we know with biotechs, at any moment, if something doesn't work, it could go horribly wrong. So be defensive. But this is something that's on these billion-dollar fund managers' radar. And mm -hmm. they're, they're growing and their sales are large. And maybe they're onto something. Mm -hmm. So when you're saying, you know, six months of, of buying that you were seeing prior to the two months of holding, um, again, you look at the chart and it seems like there's a little bit of a disconnect. I mean, within that six months, you've got this 35% deep handle. So what's happening there? You know, what, what what's happening with the, the data showing buying, but the chart showing selling during that time? So we have to go back. So... October and September was the holds. Okay. And then beyond that was the buying. So they're buying in that massive cup is where they're buying because we're, we're playing 30 days ago uh, okay. with the data. So obviously when they're buying slows down, tough things happen. And very simple when, when big selling kind of slows down, as an example, the last month's reports at the end of October, they were still selling large cap tech, but not at the same level they were. And that's where you get some of your bounces. Obviously, a lot of some of it's hindsight, but it's the consistency and the large and the large share increases is what I'm looking for. So this one, I, I just think it's it's an interesting play where uh, that's the reason why it had that kind of vicious two months is yeah. one of the explanations for it. Right. And again, just to your point. The six months was really, if, if, I, if I'm hearing you and understanding you correctly, was really this March period, um, you know, through, uh, through August was the kind of six months of buying that you were seeing. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, anything else about this whole, you know, what, what you've learned from this bear market in 2022? I mean, how long have you been doing the data? Um, have you seen the data react the way it has in this bear market? Um, what can you kind of share with any insights that you, you've learned from 2022? Whew, um, a, th a thick question. I, I would say... So, um, <laughs> Time for I another would, podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> I would say um, whenever... So the rules are helpful and the rules are harmful. A good, I, I, you, I don't get everything right. A good example is like I, I had Crocs. And I was stopped out for 7% and Crocs went up 25% without me. So I, I, I'd say the things that stick out to me as the biggest lesson is moving forward for the rest of all of our lives is that when we know that the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates and tightening their balance sheet at $90 billion a month, this is the time to really have strong sell rules, to position size smaller, to play a lot more defense and to do it as early and often as possible. And we're going to get things wrong, but the sell rules are what protects us, as, as William O'Neill always shares in his, in his great books. But when I look collectively, it's trying our best to participate in these bounces. And hopefully something comes, comes out and we'll, we'll see what, what happens on that next report for inflation. But having defense is just so critically important. And I think that's what's kept me um, kind of a, a, a decent win rate um, and keeping hopefully members really happy with this data. 
Well, I think that's a good synopsis of 2022. Thank you so much for being on the show again, Scott Bennett from Invest With Rules. And of course, people who want more information can go to investwithrules.com or as I mistakenly was saying on one of my previous podcasts, investingwithrules.com, you have them both. So <laughs> however <laughs> way you, you say it, uh, you're going to get to the same place. Uh, so thanks again, Scott, for being on. Thanks so much, Justin. It's great to talk to you. Okay. And uh, of course, next week, Arusha is going to be back joining me. And we're also going to have Jim Ropel on the show uh, from Ropel Capital Management. Always a pleasure to talk to this uh, big Bill O'Neill disciple and, you know, a big follower of CanSlim. Uh, also to get his take on the last year. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about crypto. So looking forward to that discussion with Jim Ropel next week. Hope you join us then. Thanks for watching. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.